Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Thank you for joining me today. What a spectacular time of year on the sports calendar. We've got NFL free agency beginning this week and the NFL draft not far off. We've got the start of March Madness. We've got MLB spring training finally getting underway and opening day just, uh, boy, like three weeks, four weeks away. And we have uh, NBA and NHL action pretty much every night. So it's a truly joyous time of year for the sports junkie. But today we're going to stick to the NFL stuff. Well, maybe we'll throw in a little baseball too. Uh, And joining me now is Josh Larkey, the director of analytics for playerprofiler.com. He's also the host of the Codebreaker podcast and an up-and-coming TikTok star. Find him on Twitter at jlarkeytweets. Josh so good to have you here. Welcome. Thanks, Pat. I'm very excited for this. We were talking just a bit b- before the show began, and I was talking about how I was trying to glean a little bit from uh, some talking with Matt about your your process with rankings and that the just your general approach has really informed my approach in many ways. So really looking forward to this, and I've got a good show sheet, so we'll Let's dive in. And that's funny you talk uh, when you mentioned Matt. That's Matt Kelly uh, of of Player Profiler, and um, yeah. So my uninformed approach, I guess, is maybe informing your approach. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> I don't really do projections. I just do rankings, as I've talked about on this show. And part of that is uh, just the belief that injuries can really mess up preseason projections anyway and then during the season I just kind of don't have time and I don't have the wherewithal as a non-mathematical guy to set up a decent model to spit out good weekly projections so uh it's part part principle and part laziness I guess is why I don't do those so uh but thank you very much for that and uh well Josh I mean as much as I would like to dive right into like rookies uh or free agency with you right away I guess we have to talk about the uh, 87-year-old guy who came out of retirement first. Tom Brady's retirement lasted all of a month. Are you beyond worrying about his age at this point? Or is a 45-year-old quarterback in automatic fade for you? So I'm really not particularly concerned with the age, injuries, anything like that. And I think one of the big reasons is that at this stage of his career, and also just for a lot of Brady's career, he's been quick with his release He took almost no sacks this past season. They have a fairly dominant offensive line overall there. So I don't really see too much issue with with taking the the mid-40s quarterback at this point. I haven't done full player projections yet, but I I assume he's going to be kind of in the low-end QB1, maybe mid-QB1 tier just because of the, the pass volume there. And 
I think Evans Godwin, huge help since, I mean, I don't think any of the options after Brady were looking particularly good. And then I think this also really helps Gronk. I feel like there's been a lot of uncertainty in across all formats. What's going on with Rob Gronkowski? Is he retiring too? And I just think at this point that it looks like the band's getting back together. Wouldn't shock me if Fournette signs there as well. But I think overall, at least for the pieces that are guaranteed to be focal points of that offense, Brady, Evans, Godwin, I think this is just a huge boost for all three of them to be back in this incredibly pass-heavy, fast-paced environment. It really is. And I think Evans and Godwin would have found their value in the tank. Uh, If we were looking at Blake Bortles or Kyle Trask or some other stopgap, someone, a, a rookie from a weak quarterback draft class, it would have been pretty tough for those guys. And we don't know if Godwin's going to be ready for the start of the regular season. Hopefully so, but this definitely preserves their value. And you mentioned, Josh, the Brady taking very few sacks last year and his uh, quick release. Like he was very eager to check down last year. And that was a huge benefit to Leonard Fournette, who, uh, as you know, Matt Kelly was all over. And I think Matt felt vindicated by the season that Fournette had. It's going to be really interesting to see if Fournette does resign with that team. If he does, I think he's well positioned again, because I think Brady's going to keep dumping it off Uh, at 45. I think he's a little less willing to take hits than he was maybe at uh, 25. But Man, if Fournette doesn't sign, if he goes elsewhere, someone I think is is in line for a potential pass-catching windfall in Tampa. Yeah, I'm not even sure if that running back's on the roster because I think what we've seen the past two years is that Keyshawn Vaughn, I thought he was a pretty good prospect. It clearly doesn't seem like he's the guy. There's just not much precedent for someone that's ultimately going to take on such a massive role with a veteran quarterback, playoff caliber team doing almost nothing for two years and then them realizing, oh, no, no, Keyshawn, we're so sorry. We've trusted you this whole time. So I, I don't think if, it, if it's not Fournette, that running back's probably not on the roster. So I think that'll be kind of interesting. I've seen the rumors J.D. McKissick won't return to Washington. That feels like a good fit, a trusted pass-protecting back with good receiving skills. So I think that would be an, a very interesting fit. And McKissick would probably have some pretty legitimate fantasy value. Were that to happen since, like you said, I think the checkdowns are just going to increase with frequency. The older Brady gets and the the more resistant he's going to become to taking any type of contact. Yeah, and it's got to be a, a very specific kind of back. You mentioned McKissick that he can also pass protect, which you have to do to play for Bruce Arians. Like that's unconditional. And anyone who can do that and catch passes is is set up pretty well. I don't know. Who qualifies from this draft class? Maybe like Rashad White or someone like that. Um, But yeah, it it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Maybe it's just Fournette again. But if not, I I think someone's value is going to shoot up significantly by being uh, poised to be Brady's check down guy. Let's talk about Amari Cooper to the Browns, Josh. Do you see the move to Cleveland as a good thing or a bad thing for Cooper? So I'm actually quite worried about Amari Cooper. I am a big, or have been a big dynasty proponent of Amari Cooper. I have him on a lot of teams. I just like chasing the profile of a receiver. I think he's good enough to have a major role in the league for years to come. This does not look like a good landing spot. I made a TikTok about it, kind of walking through a basic 
projection framework for Amari Cooper. And it kind of boils down to the Browns are a run heavy team. Baker is not the greatest of quarterbacks. And I mean, we even saw it with Odell Beckham. The guy was getting a 25, 26, 27% target share and just wasn't particularly fantasy relevant on the Browns. Amari Cooper, his career high target share was 22%. And that was five and a half years ago, back in 2016. He's kind of hovered in the 19 to 20% range recently. I think that ticks up a little bit, especially with no more Jarvis Landry. There's just not much on that team. But when it's a more run-heavy offense with a weak quarterback and Amari Cooper, who has never been a target hog, you're really it's you have to thread the needle to get him to be highly fantasy relevant when you don't expect the volume and you don't expect the passing offense to be particularly good either. So I have quite a few concerns for. Cooper, at least in Cleveland. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And I, I think you might be right about that. Like, my first instinct was that he is kind of out of the logjam of Dallas, but um, they've shown how they want to play in Cleveland. And I don't know if Baker Mayfield is the sort of quarterback who can elevate Amari Cooper to. I don't know, even where he was like earlier in his career with the Raiders as a fantasy asset. Uh, you may be on to something. But with Cooper out of the way now, and earlier today, we're recording this on Monday, uh, Cedric Wilson signed with the Miami Dolphins. So does this clear the runway for C.D. Lamb to be a clear wide receiver one in 2022? I think the the Wilson not re-signing with Cowboys. I think that really helps Lamb. I mean, I've always loved CeeDee Lamb as a prospect. I think he checks pretty much every box. A little bit underwhelming last year. He just, there were some inconsistency issues. But I also think some of that stems from CeeDee Lamb is much better as a big slot. And I think with if Wilson re-signed in Dallas, it's like, oh my goodness, we're going to have another sort of frustrating year where Lamb has these flashes, but he's on the outside. He can disappear. No, no, no. It's looking like CeeDee Lamb is going to be their slot guy for next year at this point. I've seen the, the rumors that, oh, no, they're, they're taking Traylon Burks at 24. If that happens, I'm once again going to be a little worried about Lamb because Traylon Burks has been the big slot in college. So I don't quite know what to make of that. But I think that in this moment, having CeeDee Lamb with a large void for target competition, especially if Gallup doesn't start the season healthy, and he's just full-time in the slot, I think he can really feast just running the offense through, or running that passing offense through Lamb and Schultz and not even having anyone like Gallup for the first few weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, oh, man, you just kind of ruined my day with that uh, Traylon Burks thing, Josh. I'm a little worried about that now. I mean, he's an Arkansas guy. Jerry Jones has, uh, he's an Arkansas a guy who has shown a willingness to draft wide receivers early sometimes, even if it seems like he doesn't need to. Now he actually does need to, but yeah, is he going to draft the right guy? Because you'd obviously like to see him draft pure outside receiver um, and have CD go back into the slot. So, um, man, that's kind of a, a frightening specter you've raised. Uh, also today, Mitch Trubisky to Pittsburgh. Do you have any tr interest in Trubisky as a fantasy asset? So I think he's he's still more of a, a super flex only option, but 
yes, I'm very interested. I've been actually beating the drum pretty hard this offseason for Trubisky. So it looks like that that might be one of my hits. I've had my fair share of misses, but I'm going to chalk one, give myself a single W for thinking that Trubisky was going to be signed and most likely be a starter somewhere. And I think it's a good landing spot. This is one of, if not the most stable organizations in the entire NFL, which Trubisky did not have with the with the Bears. And he's got some very talented weaponry to throw to. He's got Deontay Johnson. He's got Pat Fryermuth. He's got Chase Claypool. He has Najee Harris out of the backfield. The offensive line needs a little bit of work, but I think that there's a lot of pieces here where Mitch Trubisky can do well enough to keep the job, and he's also mobile enough that I think the fantasy points will be there. So I think he can be kind of in that just general QB2 range, sort of like Daniel Jones when healthy, where you're you're actually going to get some decent spike weeks. You're probably going to get burned a few weeks during the season, but I think kind of the, the healthy Daniel Jones is what I'm roughly expecting for Trubisky because I do think he will be able to, he'll definitely be able to outcompete Mason Rudolph. And I don't really see Haskins as a threat either. I think they could still go someone like Malik Willis in the draft, but that's still more of a developmental quarterback. I think at this point, I would expect Trubisky to start. I don't know what I put the over under at, but I'd say, I'd say more than half of the games for the Steelers next year. I would expect Trubisky as their starter. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe they do still find a way to take Malik Willis, but I kind of feel like that's almost off the table now. And if anything, maybe they take Desmond Ritter if he falls into the second round or something like that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I think Trubisky, while stardom is probably off the table, uh, yeah, it's pretty much off the table. But he can be competent in this offense and uh, with a pretty decent collection of pass catchers. I do want to see the Steelers make strides on, on the rebuilding of that offensive line. It's probably a two-year rebuild, but I would like to add, see them add a couple of key pieces. And, uh, you know, that might make me feel better about Trubisky to the point where I maybe move him up into low-end quarterback two range. But um, I'm, I'm tentatively optimistic about the deal too. The, the Steelers have a lot of things on their plate. They have to rebuild the offensive line. Uh, their run defense was a joke last year. I don't think they could really afford to splurge on quarterback, uh, whether you know, spending, uh, well, there's really no money to spend in free agency, but spending a first round draft pick on a quarterback would have been a little reckless for a team with uh, some major infrastructure needs. So I think it's a decent move for them. Let's look at the Arizona Cardinals for a second, Josh, because a, a lot of their skill players, key skill players from 2021, signed deals today or agreed to deals. Both principal members of their backfield from 2021 agreed to contracts on Monday. One stayed, one went. James Conner re-upped with the Cardinals. Chase Edmonds agreed to a new deal with the Dolphins. I don't know about you, Josh, but I feel like Conner is kind of going to be a trap in drafts this year. And I think he'll continue to be a trap throughout the summer and into early September if the Cardinals don't draft a running back before day three. I just think there's no way Arizona lets Cart, uh, Connor be a workhorse this season. I mean, there's no way he survives 17 weeks if they do. And we know damn well that touchdown regression is going to come knocking on his door. Are you with me on that, or are you um, maybe encouraged that Edmonds left and he stayed? 
we'll probably have some disagreements at some point in the show, but I I'm, I'm with you on that one. I kind of, my first thought was, it looks like I won't have any more James Conner. I've done a lot of these early best ball drafts. He was going, I think pick 90 ish. And I was like, Oh, James Conner pick 90. Okay. He's probably going to get starter touches when healthy for some team out there. And I liked him there, but he's probably going to be going what fourth round, fifth round. And he's just going to be the quintessential dead zone running back where it's an aging veteran with a history of bad health and the, the role can be fragile. It wouldn't even shock me if uh, a guy that I've always liked, Eno Benjamin, w- would it be that surprising if in the second half of the season, Eno Benjamin ends up being more productive than James Conner? That's just, even though it sounds weird when you say it, that's just when you look at history, this is so often the case where these older running backs, you don't even know who it's going to be, but there's someone that usually sneaks in or there's an injury. It's like with Mike Davis. No one knew Cordero Patterson was going to be the guy that was taking work from Mike Davis. But you can look at history and go, oh, this is an agent running back going in the fourth or fifth round. Probably something's going to happen. And I just get that feeling now with James Conner, where if he's going around pick 90, yeah, I'm rolling the dice there. And it's just a different calculus. But if he's going to be going in the fourth, fifth round, getting drafted off of last year's touchdowns, like you said, then I, I think he becomes a pretty hard fade when there's going to be much younger, if not more, and probably more talented running backs and certainly receivers going at that point in drafts. And honestly, Josh, it would not shock me if he snuck into the third round in some drafts. I think people are going to look at that period where Edmonds was injured last year and Connor was racking up rushing and receiving yardage and continuing to uh, score a lot of touchdowns. And I think people are just going to like over project there and, and think that he can maybe be a workhorse. And no matter what, if even if it looks like Arizona is not investing a lot in that uh, running back position, I, I think they're going to have him splitting work with someone, whether it's uh, Eno. And uh, like you, I'm kind of keeping a candle lit for Eno. I mean, I, I loved him in the Pac-12 uh, in college. And I, I still think even though the first couple of years in the NFL have been uh, completely unproductive, I still think he could actually be a sneaky play at some point. Um, what about Edmonds? Like, I honestly don't know what to make of him anymore. So uh, help me decide what I should think of him. Yeah, Edmonds is tough. My my initial thought was that it's nice that I'm playing best ball right now. So I can just grab him and it's like, oh, I don't really know what the role is going to be or when he's going to start or whatnot. But I think he's going to be a really, really tough one all throughout redraft season, especially once we get into the summer where we're all trying to read the tea leaves and decipher. Is this even someone that you should be drafting in fantasy? Will this be a, a fantasy relevant role? I'm inclined to think that how early they signed him, they signed him pretty much immediately. Mike McDaniel comes from San Francisco where they have a penchant for the smaller running back. I'm inclined to think that he gets some decent usage, but it's still, it's just not necessarily the profile that I'm generally targeting in anything like redraft dynasty. I don't know. Yeah. He, like you said, I think he's really difficult. I could see him being a fantasy relevant player if they don't take anyone in the draft and Tua can take a step forward. I just not, I think there's just, there needs to be a lot that lines up at this point for me to see him being one of those pass catching RB two types. So I think this early, I'm still just, 
I'd rather lean with a, a different position there or a different running back there where he's probably going to be going in drafts. Yeah, I'm with you. He's not a fade for me, but I think I'm going to be drafting around him uh, pretty much all summer. Let's let's talk about the, the big one, the headline maker today, Christian Kirk, uh, signing for four years. First reported at $84 million. Now it sounds like it's maybe more like $72 million with incentives. But man, that is still a big splurge for Trent Baalke. And uh, like, I don't know, what, what do you think of the Jaguars making this move? Like, Kirk's a guy who's never had a thousand yard season. Doug Peterson has never had a one thousand uh, yard receiver in Philadelphia. It just seems to make Kirk the third highest paid wide receiver in football seems a little bit uh, obscene. I mean, I knew we knew that the Jaguars were going to add some sort of wide receiving talent, but to do this, it just seems kind of inexplicable. I would agree with that also. So I think Christian Kirk is a pretty good player. I understand that apparently this is just the receiver market we're in, but I think on top of it feeling like a lot of money, I just don't even know if this is the the best fit. If I were so if I were the the naive virtual GM trying to build around Trevor Lawrence, I think the two things that I would want to get is someone who can get open at will close to the line of scrimmage and then someone that can stretch the field as a deep threat. It seemed like DJ Shark could have been the deep threat and that then I mean Jarvis Landry was a he's been released. I just seemed to me like if you have Landry and Shark that's probably going to be less expensive than Kirk. And now you get the guy close to the line of scrimmage getting open and the guy stretching the field. Christian Kirk is a slot receiver when he's most effective. They also have LaVisca Chenault, who is a slot receiver when most effective. It just doesn't seem like Christian Kirk was necessarily the right receiver for this offense. It seemed like Christian Kirk could have gone to many other spots and been able to be a proper slot receiver without potentially replacing someone that seemed like a potential starter in the offense. So all in all, this one was just a little bit funky to me. Uh, I don't have too many fantasy takes on Kirk because I don't think he was, I don't really know if this moves him up or down rankings. He was already, uh, when, when looking at early drafts, he was already going at the after pick 100. So I don't think this moves the needle either way too much, but I think another trend just, that I think always needs to be brought up is when the receiver is signed to a second contract and he's not extended, historically that has been bad. And that if a receiver is an absolutely elite talent and going to be very productive, usually the team they're on extends them. And with Kirk, I know part of it might've been that Arizona just couldn't afford him, but it's always concerning when the receiver changes teams, they have to build rapport with a new quarterback. So all in all, I, it's hard for me to know exactly what to make of it because I think he's going to have a big role. They paid him a lot of money. There's no one else on that depth chart. He has been productive enough, but at this point, I don't think this is, this isn't the kind of landing spot that vaults Kirk into a uh, high end fantasy receiver territory, despite that, that third highest price tag. Yeah. I'm with you on not really moving the needle for him in fantasy. It is interesting. Your point about, the really good receivers getting the extensions from their first teams. And man, like I just wish we knew for sure 
that Kirk was going to be a slot receiver. Like I'm with you. He is a slot receiver. And I actually did his uh, season preview last year for the player profiler draft kit. And I was excited about Kirk because I thought he was going to get his chance to go into the slot with Larry Fitzgerald retiring. Then the Cardinals go out and draft Rondell Moore. Uh, So, you know, that soured me on Kirk. Now he goes to a team that, I don't know, maybe he will be a slot guy on the vast majority of his snaps with Jacksonville, but they do have LaVisca Chenault, and what do they do with him if not playing him in the slot? So, yeah, it's frustrating, it's it's weird, and it's just an odd signing for Trent Baalke, the man who uh, seven years earlier signed Torrey Smith to a five-year contract for $40 million. So Trent Baalke, maybe not <laughs> the best judge of uh, wide receiver talent and how to play the wide receiver market in free agency. I do know that there are a lot of wide receiver free agents licking their chops right now, uh, seeing where the market was set with the Kirk contract. Yeah, I'll be curious what Allen Robinson ultimately signs for because there's a guy that's in his prime with an absolutely incredible resume. And I think if teams talk to him and just de- and decide that he was just th- that you can just explain away last year because he hates the Bears, I think he's going to get a nice payday and probably a well-deserved payday just looking at the history of who's who's been throwing him the ball throughout his career. So, I I I think that's probably the the receiver signing I'm most curious about since I think he could end up being the highest paid receiver in the NFL. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. FTX is the fully regulated, safe, and easy way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, even NFTs. Plus, you can earn free crypto on every trade over $10 all with up to 85% lower fees than other crypto exchanges. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX. Shohei's in. Are you? Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Josh, you did not begin your career in sports analytics as a football analyst. Can you talk about your background in baseball analytics and why you made the transition from baseball to football or how you made the transition from baseball to football? I would love to. So it's not necessarily one of those things where I was like, all right, now it's time to switch from one to the other. So back back in college, I was an economics major and I took a class junior year called econometrics, which is is basically learning a little, little bit about hardcore statistics and predictive modeling. And let me tell you, I was hooked. 
And I realized there was nothing else that I wanted to do with my life aside from doing something like that with stats and sports. And uh, after college, I went to grad school to study business analytics. And it kind of confirmed everything that I started to realize from college, which is I don't really love analytics for analytics sake. I love analytics when I can apply it to predicting and better understanding sports performance. Very early in grad school, I realized I need to work in the sports industry or else I'm not going to make it as an analyst. I don't have the, I do not enjoy coding in a dark room, looking at stock data or housing prices. It just wasn't for me. I needed to look at sports numbers. So I was exclusively applying for sports jobs in grad school, ended up getting an internship with the Detroit Tigers in their baseball analytics department. And I think that was, that was definitely a, a good first step for me. I was able to increase my, my coding ability and really take a lot of stuff that I use now from there, better understanding player performance, learning more about aging curves. I think baseball is just so far advanced compared to any other sport because of the, the pace of play with baseball. It's just, it's very, very easy to analyze baseball. And I think that's why the, the Moneyball revolution was a baseball specific revolution is you can't have, I mean, other sports, it's just really difficult. You can't really have that, that casual Moneyball revolution with football where you go, oh, we just learned this one simple trick and this solved performance on offense. With baseball, it was like, oh, on base percentage. We just need guys on base. Football, I mean, it's not that simple. You just need a good quarterback. Okay, well, how do we scout a good quarterback? Well, we still don't know that. All right, so we're back to square one. So I think that with baseball, it's just so far advanced. And that was a good first step for me to be able to really dive into player performance and understanding how to navigate databases, how to look at a lot of different stats and make sense of them. So I think that was a, that was a great first step. Uh, was not able to be hired full-time. They just didn't have the budget. Moved back home to San Diego, worked for the Padres, other another baseball team in the business analytics department. And then after about a year, I was COVID furloughed and then COVID laid off. So I have a, a very checkered past with the, the baseball world being uh, not given a full-time job at the Tigers and then being COVID furloughed with the, with the Padres. But I think that it ultimately gave me a really good background in analytics. And I'd been working with Matt Kelly at Player Profiler since grad school. I met him at a conference while in grad school. And he was like, hey, you want to do some coding for me? Make a little money, work with football data and how could you ever say no to that when you're in grad school? So we'd been working together kind of on the side, just doing some weekend work for him over the years. And when I write pretty much right when I was COVID furloughed, I reached out to Matt and said, Hey, if you're able to, I want to take on more work. I've always enjoyed doing this type of thing. And I think my skill set will transfer well. So it just kind of grew from there. So I've been working pretty much full-time hours for Matt at player profiler since almost two years ago at this point. So it was kind of a, a weird transition where it wasn't even like I, I came into the my job life knowing this is what I, the path I wanted to take, but through uh, some furloughing, some not being hired and some side football research, here I am now. Do you still follow MLB pretty closely? No, that's actually a tragedy. I am not a close MLB follower right now. It really stinks. I just don't have enough time right now. One of my goals for this next year is to be able to follow baseball a little bit more closely and just prioritize my time. 
a little differently to make that work, but it's just been really difficult overseeing full player projections and year round rankings for hundreds of football players. It's just made it difficult to juggle other sports. So I'm working on it, but right now, unfortunately, I am just not as informed a baseball fan as I would like to be. And it's understandable. Baseball is not really a sport that you can follow casually and have any degree of uh, any grasp on it whatsoever. So perfectly understandable. Josh, do you really eat a burrito almost every day? Yes, I eat on average more than a burrito every day. So I'd, I'd say I probably go through 10 burritos a week. It's been my comfort food for years. Uh, back when I was in community college before uh, transferred to a four-year, I was sometimes when you're looking at what's very affordable and how to eat something tasty, it turns out that beans, rice, and cheese are incredibly inexpensive. So I I just started getting, I'd always enjoyed burritos, but at that point in my life, I just got hooked. It became a comfort thing. I was making all different types of breakfast burritos, bean, rice, cheese burritos, throwing all different stuff in there. And over time, it just be, it just brings me that comfort. It's easy and quick to eat and to make. There's so many different varieties. And I just figure if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They make me happy. They fill me up. So yeah, I think it, people joke about it and they, they don't think I'm serious. And I'm like, no, no, no. You can, you can ask my parents. You can ask my girlfriend. You can ask my friends in college. I All I do is eat burritos. So I didn't know that you made your own a lot of the time. Now that uh, presumably Matt Kelly is paying you enough that you don't have to just stick to beans, rice, and cheese, what is your go-to? So I still eat a lot of bean, rice, cheese burritos. I still just holds a special place in my heart. But at this point, I think my my favorite would either, either be the occasional splurge on a surf and turf where it's shrimp, carne asada, and whatever else is in there. Or I really like machaca burritos, where it kind of combines my love for breakfast burritos with sort of a breakfasty item. Machaca is shredded beef and scrambled eggs with some peppers and onions. And I really like that for both breakfast and dinner. So I think the machaca or the surf and turf are my go-tos when I'm spending a little bit more than than $4.99 on a burrito. Is there a go-to place for you to get burritos if you're not making them yourself? No, I don't actually have a go-to place. I just kind of spread it out. There's some places I like a little better than others. I would say that the place I've gone to the most is there's a little spot called Nico's Taco Shop in San Diego. Used to live fairly close to it. And my goodness, their portion size and their machaca is out of this world. Good salsa too, but I don't go there as much anymore, but that is that will always be my, my all-time favorite place for a burrito. Oh, outstanding. So you're in San Diego. Does this ever, I, I know it's not a burrito, but are you a fish taco guy? Yes, I will. I will buy those and make those as well. I'm just, Mexican food is my favorite. So I like the the spice and the flavor profile. So I, w- I would say that probably half my meals are some type of burrito, taco, quesadilla, something in that realm. Oh, man. Now I know what I'm having for dinner after uh, we finish this pod, Josh. You've, there we you've go. pretty much got my mouth watering. Um, <laughs> all right. We, we've hit on free agency. Let's talk about the rookies really briefly. And I was just listening to the Codebreaker podcast from February where you were still sort of agnostic about the rookies individually and just mainly talking about 
the value proposition with rookies in early best ball drafts and uh, based on some historical data. So now that we have had some some data points, uh, the senior ball, the combine, did this NFL scouting combine in particular like fundamentally change the way you feel about any of the players in this year's class? Yeah, there were definitely some players that I, I changed my stance on. Uh, I'll start off with a guy I didn't really change my stance on was Traylon Burks. I know everyone is grilling him because at 220 something pounds, he ran a four five five, which uh newsflash is still a well above average speed score and athleticism for receivers doesn't matter too much. I was more looking at the running back since I think that's really where the athleticism is so important. And I, I think a, a big riser for me outside of the obvious with Brees Hall, who looks like by far the clear cut RB one would be Rashad White. I thought he had a phenomenal combine. He's a really, really uh, sizable back. I think you some people, you'll look and you'll be like, oh, small school guy, Arizona State, 43 receptions. Oh, he must be a little small pass catcher. Then you realize the guy's 214 pounds. He ran a 4.48. And I think he might just have been the, the biggest riser overall for, for my rankings in that I know he's already at, He's already, he already turned 23. He's no spring chicken, but at running back that we already know that, uh, especially at dynasty, or if you're just playing redraft, it's not like we all know that outside of a few elite running backs, these guys, you're hoping for one, two, three good seasons. And I think Rashad white can deliver that. And I just think it's a very intriguing profile that it's a receiving back with size and very, very good athleticism. So I think he, he might've been the biggest riser, and is someone that I'm incredibly excited to see the draft capital and the landing spot with him. Yeah, uh, he has definitely moved up, I think, with his combine performance and the fact that he is um, like a decent pass protector, I believe. Like that area of his game has been touted that that might make it interesting. And we don't care about the pass protection from the fantasy perspective, but we know coaches do, especially guys like Bruce Arians. Which prospects do you think you're maybe either higher or lower on than consensus. So I think in terms of being higher than consensus, yes, Brees Hall is my RB one, but I'm pretty aggressive with different with where I would actually rank him compared to current NFL running backs. I'd say that I'm pretty aggressive with that. And it's just, it's actually kind of what I, I talked about it a little bit on my code breaker podcast that pretty much every season, there's one, two, three rookie running backs that end up being top 15-ish in fantasy points per game. And that might seem crazy until you look at the numbers and you're like, oh yeah, there's another season with a couple top guys. Oh, there's another season with some top guys. And Brees Hall looks like the next running back that's going to just come out and be a fantasy stud right from the beginning. He's incredibly young. So I think that's someone that you want to make sure you're, you're doing everything in your power right now to try and set yourself up for your dynasty rookie drafts, to try and get some Brees Hall. Uh, I think he he's really someone that it's really hard to see him failing. He's the type of running back that's probably going to retain his value quite well. Also, he's still not even 21. That's just crazy how young he is in his history of production. So I think he's a really good one to be out in front on. And then at receiver, I think... I'm kind of a draft capital snob in some ways with some of these receivers. So some of these random guys that are supposed to get some pretty good draft capital, even if the consensus doesn't love him, just 
historically these it's hard for a receiver that's not getting drafted on the first round or two to hit in fantasy. So just a lot of these random guys I'll be very interested in. I like Christian Watson, who's a small school guy who absolutely crushed at the combine. He's like a 95th percentile plus athlete across the board, just a huge receiver. And it looks like he's probably going to go in the second round of the NFL draft. And there, there's a pretty big difference between third and second round for these receivers, just looking at historical hit rates and, that is the type of profile I like. I will, even though athleticism isn't the most important thing for receivers, we know draft capital is very important. And if his athleticism is what leads him to get that draft capital and to give him insulation for a team to make sure he gets the chance to succeed for his first couple seasons, then Christian Watson, I think, is a very interesting player to be out ahead on as well. Yeah, uh, he's an interesting case study with his athleticism and size and the way he balled out at the senior bowl and yet like the college stats for a small school are just uh, you know, it's kind of like a void for him, but also there were some circumstances with that. I mean, it's not exactly like he was playing for a run and shoot offense at North Dakota state. So he will be an interesting case for sure. Let me ask you about hall for redraft. Since you mentioned that, you know, you like to be ahead of the curve in best ball drafts as far as picking rookies where do you think and i'm not trying to pin you down on an exact number but uh, assuming he does land in say like very good chance that there is once again no running back draft in the first round this year but if he does land in oh i don't know the, the jonathan taylor zone between what pick 35 and 50 somewhere where do you think you might slot him in redraft among running backs so if I'm, I'm just looking at underdog fantasy right now, I think that's a good place for this early ADP because there's just a lot of sickos like myself that will do dozens and dozens of drafts in February, March, April. So there's a lot of drafts behind the ADP. And I'm seeing Brees Hall going after guys like J.K. Dobbins, who's coming off an ACL tear and who we at this point kind of know is not going to be a big pass catcher in that offense. He's going after David Montgomery who I think will have some kind of capped upside. Justin Fields, pretty mobile, not a big check down quarterback. That's going to hurt Montgomery. Elijah Mitchell, I think at this point, probably prefer Brees Hall when we know Trey Lance, Debo Samuel. There's a lot of guys that could take some of those goal line carries from Mitchell. Josh Jacobs, even a guy that we just haven't seen with a potentially elite ceiling. I'd rather have Brees Hall over him. So those are all names right there that are currently going ahead of Brees Hall and who I think even come uh, full redraft season will likely be going ahead of Brees Hall in drafts where I'm going to take the swing on Brees Hall, knowing that historically this type of player will probably get more work than many people think as a rookie and who can have that very, very elite ceiling where because he's a rookie and we don't know what's going on, we don't know how the team's going to use him. Those guys are just undervalued. It's like Najee Harris. We all knew Najee Harris was going to get a ton of carries with the Steelers. We knew he was going to get a lot of work, and he still outperformed his ADP. That's just the kind of thing that happens with these rookies, where until the masses see it, it's just too hard for the average fantasy gamer to go, oh, yeah, that's an elite fantasy running back. But, we, I mean, what, what more do you want? He's got size. He's got speed. He's got receiving ability. He's going to get very good day two draft capital, so... I really think that Brees Hall should kind of get drafted probably 
early RB2 type range, maybe RB14, RB15, is I think a zone I'd prefer him in. I mean, Aaron Jones even, I'm looking, he's RB15 and ADP. I think I'd even rather have Brees Hall than Aaron Jones, who looks like he's going to be in a nice timeshare with A.J. Dillon. So that's kind of how aggressive I would be in redraft for Brees Hall. I'm with you on that. I'm a Packers fan, and I would rather have Brees Hall than Aaron Jones right now. Uh, sight unseen, and let's just hope that Hall goes to a, a favorable landing spot, not something gross like Detroit or something where they try to uh, do a two-man backfield with with Hall and Swift. You know, not not something disgusting like that. So hopefully, somewhere where he is needed and can be slotted in right away as the clear RB one for his team. Um, Josh, I saw your ranking of quarterbacks the other day at least the top of your quarterback rankings. So Lamar Jackson is your quarterback too. Yeah, Lamar is my quarterback too. And I don't even think this needs to be a super nuanced take. I just look at Lamar Jackson. He was a historic fantasy producer in 2019. He had over 28 fantasy points a game in four point per touchdown leagues for passing. The best ever. He had Willie Sneed and Mark Ingram as full-time players in that offense around him. Those guys have now been replaced with J.K. Dobbins and Rashad Bateman. Marquise Brown was on that team in 2019 as a rookie who was often injured, not very good. Marquise Brown has now emerged as a legitimate playmaker with volume. Mark Andrews is a superstar now. And I just look and go, okay, so this is a guy that has demonstrated that he can break fantasy. And he's going to run 10 times a game with a very, very good supporting cast, fully healthy for the first time in his career. What's not to like? Why is this guy going QB4, QB5 in early drafts? It just doesn't quite make sense to me. I get it with Josh Allen. He's got the ceiling and floor combo. He's been the QB1 per game both of the last two years. Great. Josh Allen, QB1. I'm fine with it. I think you could argue Lamar is the QB one because of that ridiculous upside, but I don't even think you need to. I think he just, to me, looks like the QB two, 10 rush attempts a game, decent passer, great weapons. I just don't understand why people have soured on him so much. Yeah. So I I'm pro Josh or a pro Lamar Jackson. Generally, I think maybe the one reason I'm a little hesitant to put him as high as QB2 is that, I don't know, I thought the situation lined up so well for him last year. Actually, some of the adversity he had with the injuries to his running backs, I thought that meant he actually might run more himself and be forced to throw more himself. I thought the adversity he faced with the injuries to the key Raven defenders, especially the cornerbacks, that it might put him in more shootout game scripts. Uh, I thought just those factors actually might have set him up to just go nuclear last year and it didn't really happen. So I feel like maybe he's not going to run quite as much this year with the uh, with Dobbins and Gus Edwards back. And maybe he's not going to be forced to throw as much because the defense will be tighter, uh, less less injury riddled. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm mis- misinterpreting that situation. But I know that if you have him at quarterback two, you're probably going to get him and have gotten him in a lot of best ball drafts. And uh, do me a favor and explain 
why you've got Patrick Mahomes QB five, because I certainly think that's a quarterback that most people are going to have ranked ahead of Lamar Jackson. I think so too. So one more thing I'll add on Lamar 2019, 2020, he had an 8% passing touchdown rate, very high, probably not quite sustainable, but it kind of makes sense that he's a lower volume passer in a good offense that's keeping defenders off balance with his legs. He had a 4% passing touchdown rate last year. So he was still, his fantasy points per game looks like it dropped a little bit, but part of that is just kind of the the touchdown, the natural touchdown variance that can happen in certain seasons. So that's what I'm banking on is that he's closer to the, the quarterback he was in 2019-2020 than the, the type of passer in 2021. We'll see if that burns me. Mahomes, my issue, the guy doesn't run. We still, we don't quite know what's going on with uh, the Chiefs wide receiver two situation. Hill and Kelsey are getting, they're getting older. And I'm not, I'm not saying that they're about to fall off a cliff, but if you just look at supporting cast around the league, it does not look like the absolutely unbelievably elite supporting cast that it did a couple years ago. And it's just tough for me to pay up for a guy where the, the only way that I see him fully returning value is if he's giving you the, the highest touchdown rate in the league. So there's just players that I think are going to run a little bit more than him or playing with slightly better weapons that I, that I prefer to Patrick Mahomes. So I might take him out of the, I'm not drafting him as QB five because with ADP, I think that it's silly to take too big of a stance and I can't get Lamar in 100% of my drafts. That would probably be, that'd be foolish. But as of right now, I think ADP agnostic, Mahomes kind of looks like the the QB four QB five where I think you can kind of flip him and Herbert. I think it looks to me at least like the the clear top three based on production and upside should be uh, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and then I think Herbert and Mahomes at four and five. So my my take on Mahomes, he needs to run more, and if he's not running more. We're going to need another one of those, what was it, the 2018 season where he has that like 9% touchdown rate. We're going to need that to come back. And I think people are living in the past a little bit with Mahomes as a, as a fantasy asset. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm willing to consider that argument. Would you maybe bump him up a little if the Chiefs, I don't know, some combination of signing Juju Smith-Schuster and drafting maybe one of the top 12 guys in this class? Yeah, I think I would move him up. I, I think I could see, definitely could move him up over Herbert in that QB4 range. I think I could move him up potentially over Kyler Murray as well in that QB3 range, just depending on what the Cardinals do. And Murray's been a, Murray has shown just the, the ridiculous ceiling, but he's also been very inconsistent at times. So I could see myself getting Mahomes up to three. But at this point, I think I'm pretty locked and loaded that if Lamar's going to run six to seven times a game more than Mahomes, that I'm going to just ultimately take if I was in a big money league that I would want Lamar Jackson over Patrick Mahomes. And it seems kind of crazy to say right now, but I'm just such a snob for these rush attempts from the quarterback position. I'm like, Oh, does he run or not? It's like Jalen hurts last year. I was like, Oh, he's going to be a bad passer. Oh, but Oh, you're telling me he's probably going to run eight to 12 times a game. Just put him on my fantasy team. And I think that's kind of how I feel with Mahomes. I'm like, Oh, you're, you're telling me that there's not much of a of a floor there? I mean, pulling up his game log, the, the stretch that concerns me, there was a stretch from week seven to week 13 where 
five of six games in a row were 15 or fewer fantasy points from Mahomes. That that just happened this past season. And that could mean that you lost five of six matchups in a time period. If your quarterback's giving you 15 or fewer fantasy points repeatedly when you spent a super high pick on him in your draft. Oh yeah. I had Mahomes in a super flex league and it was crushing uh, that, <laughs> that spell you're talking about. I I'm not sure if I won a game on that team uh, during that stretch. So yeah, it was pretty gross. Uh, talk to me about the path you see for Dearness Johnson potentially becoming a valuable or at least useful fantasy asset. So there's definitely some speculation with Dearness Johnson, but the path I think it's pretty simple. He's been good when called upon. I think it's hard not to be with that Browns offensive line and very run-heavy game plan. But I also think he's just he's a good running back. And looking at the contract of Kareem Hunt, he's owed, I think, a little over $6 million this year. And if they cut him, there is zero in dead cap. So they can basically just get rid of Kareem Hunt and not have a single consequence. And... If I'm the Browns, I think I would consider that. Dearness Johnson looks like a legitimate NFL running back. And $6 million is just a lot to spend on a backup running back, especially when the team has a lot of other more pressing needs out there. So I think that's the case for him is that you pretty much just need one thing to go right for that guy to pay off some value. Since we know that the Kareem Hunt role has been very valuable. So all you need is Kareem Hunt gets cut with zero dead cap. Nick Chubb, no matter... How good he seems to play. The Browns refuse to overwork him. Probably going to help his career longevity, but will just mean that whoever that RB2 is in, in Cleveland will be getting a good amount of rushing attempts, will be getting a lot of targets. And I think Dearness Johnson has, has a nice, easy, clear-cut path to that role. And that team is certainly dedicated to the running game. We've seen that. Last thing before I let you go, Josh, give me one or two players you are excited about for 2022 and a couple of players you won't touch in 2022. We'll end on a positive note. I'll tell you a couple guys right now that I'm just not not touching at their current ADP, probably just won't end up with a lot of. One of them is Amon Ross St. Brown. It is crazy to see that he is a, a round five pick in these early drafts for 2022 when he was not fantasy relevant until both DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson got hurt. Yes, I understand there's a little bit of noise there because rookie receivers get better as the season goes on, but the splits were so stark and the prospect profile was so good, not great, that it's hard for me to believe he's truly a 30, a 30% target share type receiver like he was at the end of the season. He looks to me like he's probably going to be third, if not fourth in the pecking order in that offense behind Swift Hawkinson. And if they have a, a big name free agent receiver or draft another receiver in the first or second round this coming season. And next, thing you know, he's, you're, he's looking like the third, fourth option in a below average Jared Goff led offense. So for me at the, at that kind of price tag, I think he's, he's a big stay away. Uh, the other stay away for me at, this is a little bit spicy. It's Joe Burrow. Uh, we talked about how quarterbacks need to run. Joe Burrow doesn't run much. He was the QB 10 per game last year, despite the third highest pass touchdown rate in the league. So even with all the touchdown variants going his way, Burrow's still just the QB 10, yet he is 
the QB5 based on ADP right now, behind only Allen Mahomes, Herbert Lamar. Hard to believe that Burrow would go before someone like Kyler Murray. So for me, even Aaron Rodgers. So it's it's really just a cost thing with Burrow. So I don't know. Do you have any takes on on those two guys that I am just that are on my 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 stinky cannot draft at their ADP list for 2022? I'm with you on Amon Ra. He's just going to be a fade for me. I I do think he's good, but yes, like the the fact that the production so much of it came with Swift and Hawkinson not there and knowing that they are going to draft some kind of receiver or or possibly sign, as you said. So I agree with that. I might push back a little on Burrow. I mean, y- you make a great point about the fact that he was 10th in scoring per game with a high touchdown rate. I do think that touchdown rate is going to remain elevated throughout his career with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins around for as long as he can keep that duo. Um, I think it's that duo is going to lift him and – I think he's already a, a very good quarterback. So I'm willing to pay that freight for him. I, I do think the best is yet to come for him. And I'm hoping he's going to run a little bit more uh, once he gets the ACL behind him. He was a fairly aggressive runner at LSU. Not a guy who's going to add Kyler Murray type rushing numbers, but maybe a guy who can add like four rushing touchdowns a year in a good year and, uh, you know, a couple hundred rushing yards. So I'd, I'd push back a little bit on that one. I'm more with you on Amon Ross St. Brown. What about guys you are very excited about for 2022? So I'll tell you two guys that I'm drafting a whole lot of for this next year. One is Travis Etienne. I just think we, we saw last year with DeAndre Swift going in the fifth round like Etienne does right now. How can you fade a hyper-talented player with the draft capital, with the breakaway speed, who we know is a prolific pass catcher? It just seems like it's the classic, like, oh, injuries, or we haven't quite seen it yet. And it's like, no, no, no. Look at the production profile in college. Look at the draft capital. This type of guy has such a hard time failing and has such an elite ceiling. I think before the injuries, Swift was the RB3 or RB4 per game. Something absolutely ridiculous, despite getting drafted in the fifth round. And it wouldn't shock me if ETN ends up being this year's DeAndre Swift, where, oh, Jaguar's bad, or we haven't seen it yet. From from what I've read, he could have potentially returned last season if the Jaguars made the playoffs. So he should be easily at 100% come training camp off the, the Liz Frank injury. So I think ETN, I see nothing but good things in his future based on uh, that, that prospect profile. He's with his college teammate, Trevor Lawrence. So if Trevor Lawrence threw to him a ton in college, I think it's going to be difficult for him not to also throw a ton to ETN at the NFL. When defenses are better, there's more pressure. That's going to be his dump-off guy. The other one is Mike Williams. Big Mike Williams, a guy that I've never liked in fantasy. Up until he had this massive role change, the, the A dot goes down about 50% compared to what had been in prior years. The target share, which had been in like that 13 to 15% range, shoots up to over 20%. Year one in that new higher volume role, he's the wide receiver 13 per game in PPR. And then this year happens, and for some reason, uh, everyone assumed he, he just he, he can't repeat it. He's currently the wide receiver 28 based on ADP. That is just an absolute joke. I thought it was going to move up considerably 
once he was re-signed or extended by the Chargers. That didn't happen. So I'm like, okay, we got the guy that was the wide receiver 13 per game last year in a brand new role. He's going to have year two in that role in the exact same offense with the same elite quarterback. They're very pass heavy. Why is this guy not a third or fourth round pick? I don't understand how he goes late fifth round in drafts. So those, those are two guys where fifth rounders that look a lot more like a third, fourth type round pick to me. Yeah, it's interesting. I think people still have, maybe the Mike Williams investors have that bad taste. Getting that spectacular start from him early last year and then uh, the drop off after that. Maybe that's it. But um, I can at least see the market philosophy on that one. But I'm kind of with you. I, I think he's in a, a terrific spot again. And, and I don't understand why the ADP is where it is. And I'm totally with you on ETN. I mean, I'm going to be heavily invested in him. Already am in Dynasty. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, a fantastic spot for him. And like the runway is clear with James Robinson. Like I'll, it'll be a shock if James Robinson, despite what Cam Akers did, I don't think we're going to see James Robinson in the first six weeks. I think he's going to be on pop. And, uh, you know, that definitely opens things up for ETN to get a good start next year. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is Josh Larkey, the director of analytics for playerprofiler.com. Be sure to listen to him on the Codebreaker podcast. Go find him on TikTok and find him on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. Josh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Pat. This was a, this was a good time. Very, I was very excited when you reached out to me about coming on, so... Thanks for allowing me to join you and talk some football with you on a Monday afternoon, uh, especially with the free agency going on. This was an exciting show. A lot to talk about. And I'm sure that by the time this gets released, there's going to be some new content that we didn't cover. So to everyone listening, I apologize in advance for not covering X random fringe player that signed for more money than, than you expected that happened at Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern. So there you go, folks. <laughs> And that's a wrap for this week's show. My thanks once again to our guest, Josh Larkey of PlayerProfiler.com. Find him on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. I'd like to thank my producer, Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Music for Fits on Fantasy is provided by International Jet Sets. And of course, my thanks to all of you for listening to and supporting the show. Please circle back again next week, and I'll be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everybody. This season on American Prodigies, Black Girls in Gymnastics. You'll hear about trailblazers like Diane Durham. Learn what you don't know you don't know about Dominique Dawes. Meet superstars like Olympic silver medalist Jordan Childs and more. Hear how Black gymnasts have and continue to transform their sport. You can binge all the episodes of American Prodigies now wherever you get your podcasts.